focused on Jesus last week and this week moving to centered on prayer. Really important things we want to keep in mind as we live, not just here as a community, but, but in our everyday. Um, just find the sermon there. We're moving on um, in, our, in our seasons. We're wrapping up the season of mission today, and then we'll move in through the summer. We, we call it the season of writings. We're going to focus in on um, some really exciting books, Jonah, First and Second Peter, uh, as we move through the summer. But we've been looking during this season of mission at the early church in Corinth. And uh, 1 Corinthians talked about what the gospel says to the challenges that church faced. Remember, we talked about this is not a church that has it all together. They were struggling with pride and divisions, self-focus. Uh, and, and Paul was writing saying, this is what the gospel says to those things. And in the section of 2 Corinthians that we've looked at, he's talking about how the life of a Christ follower, a cruciform life, what it actually looks like, that it's different, that it's the life of a servant instead of an exalted one. It's, it's willing to be broken, from the good, broken for the good of others. And it's not what the Corinthians were aspiring to. It's not what they saw as good and powerful and effective. And so Paul's trying to help them understand that the cruciform life looks very, very different. And so today, as we close this little section in 2 Corinthians, I want to circle back to a passage we skipped. It's a fitting way to end our series on the cruciform life. And I've asked Kathleen Cameron if she will come up and read the scripture for us. We're reading from 2 Corinthians 4.16 to 5.10. Therefore we do not lose heart. Through outward, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. Thank you, Kathleen. Uh, we, you'll notice, like we, we, we did the last couple of verses of chapter 4 in a sermon, but, but it's really a shame to break that off from the beginning of chapter 5 because chapter 5 is a continuation of this whole idea that we're wasting away and we focus not on what is seen but on what is unseen. And, and what Paul is doing here for those who are believers is he's giving them a description of our reality, a description of our reality. 
And it does a couple of things for us as he describes what's actually happening. It, it, it inspires some hope in us and it gives us some perspective as we wait for the fulfillment of God's promise. And this picture of reality is what gave title to the sermon today because Paul talks about the now and the then and the meanwhile. And that's what we're, we're going to kind of focus. He starts with the now where we currently are focusing on the temporary tent of our body. The tent maker, that's, it's fascinating that that's what he chooses, right? He, that's what he does with his hands. He, he knows tents. And he comes back to a metaphor that he understands, and he says, this body that we live in is like a temporary tent. And if you're like me, when you're younger, that's not such a bad thing. You have this, this idea of a tent that's a little more, uh, you know, you kind of feel this way. This is my tent. It's not, it's not bad. It's okay. But you, you go through a few birthdays, and you move on to a tent that looks a little bit more like this, Right? And then when you get to my stage and beyond, sometimes your tent feels like this, right? That's really the progression. When we're young, we think, oh, yeah, this bodily tent is great. It does all these super things. And then we realize, wow, I just don't handle the heat like I used to handle the heat, right? 416 says, outwardly, we are wasting away. And it tells us to focus on the unseen. Well, what is the unseen? That's the reality that when this earthly tent is destroyed, as it says in 5.1, for we know if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, let me be clear there. He's not talking about heaven as a whole. He's not talking about some, some disembodied existence as souls floating through heaven in the presence of God. When he's talking about the eternal home, the building, he's talking about a new body, the body made new. That, that our heavenly existence will be flesh and blood, but one that's not been tainted. And there's this contrast from this earthly tent to a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. And that's what, back in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul spent so much time communicating, right? Uh, he, he said, you know, this perishable that we have right now is going to fade away, but then we'll have one that, that's good, not tainted, not broken, not limited. Revelation 21.5, where the one seated on the throne said, I am making everything new, right? That's what he's talking about. This tent that I'm living in, that I'm struggling with, that I'm frustrated with, it's one day going to be replaced by one that's new and perfect and glorified. And this is one of those truths, like I say, as we age, we grow into appreciating more and more and more. Outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed. That this, this tent, this body will be made new, Paul's saying. That's part of the reality. He says that your now is an, is an earthly tent. Your then is going to be this glorified, perfect, sinless body that actually does what it's supposed to do, what it was created to do. But in between, he says, <laughs> there'll be groaning in the meanwhile, verse 2, meanwhile we groan, we feel naked. He says we groan and we're burdened. And I, I don't know about you. I, I hope that I'm not alone in this. But this is a description for me that resonates very, very deeply with the actual experience we have in life. The suffering that we encounter in our community right here in our congregation, just as I pray through the list of those names, just longing for something better. As, as Joyce has gone on to her heavenly home, right? We're, we're thankful her suffering is no more, but there, there's a heaviness and a sadness and a groaning around that. And you look beyond this little community to the brokenness in the world. 
trying to live in a way that brings healing to First Nations people as they mourn and to walk with them, to acknowledge wrongs that have been done. Seeing, seeing the mental and the emotional challenges that the pandemic has just laid on people, right? There's, there's this groaning between the tent and the eternal house. There's just a period of groaning. And it consists of, of actually feeling the reality of what is at the same time as longing for the new, right? It's being here and longing for things to be made new. Do you guys feel that too? I've got people in here. I can actually ask that and see if the heads nod, right? We all feel that, right? And it's okay to acknowledge it, right? It's interesting. And I don't, I don't mean to undermine the joy and the confidence we have in the new. But one of the problems I think that we do as Christians is we run there too fast with other people, right? They're hurting, and we just talk about the hope and the resurrection, which is, is all true, but, you know, Jesus died on a Friday, and there was that Saturday that the disciples just sat. That holy Saturday where they just couldn't believe it had happened. You ever think about that? Jesus didn't have to stay three days. But there's, there's, there's something of our reality there between the death and the resurrection that, that we can experience and, and acknowledge that. You know, sometimes we, we, we need to just mourn with those who mourn. And groan with those who groan. And we can hold to the truth and point them to the truth. But if you've ever been in a situation where you've been mourning and someone has come trying to give you help but actually trivialized your pain, not meaning to, but they just jump too fast. And you're like, I'm not ready to go there yet. We, we as a church have to walk with people in groaning. And it's okay. Scripture says that's where we are. That's the meanwhile. You know, Paul in Romans 8 writes a very, very similar passage. He starts by saying in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Now remember, doesn't that sound a little bit like inwardly, outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed, but our, our light momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that will, it's very similar. But here it's not just you and I groaning in Romans 8. He continues, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. That's, again, this new tent, that's this new building that's coming. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. See, this is where we live in the meanwhile, in the groaning. And it's, it's not necessarily fun. But I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. And it's not just us. It's, it's all of creation. The world that we live in, the bodies we live in, we're not designed to function in this type of setting of death and brokenness and, and, and groaning. A creation filled with death and brokenness and physical bodies that are wasting away. Jeff, you're being so encouraging about where we are today, especially in this heat. This is just really nice. Thank you for this up, uplifting message from the scripture. Well, I think the Corinthians might have been thinking the same thing about Paul, saying, you know what, this is not fun, this groaning. I don't know if I like what we're in. 
But Paul moves on at the end of the, of the passage to talk about a purpose, a promise, and the result. A purpose, a promise, and the result. You see, the description of our reality that we're living in is followed by some words of comfort and direction. Because what, if, if what he says in chapter 4, verse 16 to 5, 4 is true, that we live in an earthly tent now and it's, it's wasting away, but we're going to get a brand new building that will never fade or spoil, that will reflect the glory of God. And in the meanwhile, we groan longing for that. If that's a true description, then, then it shapes the way we do live in the meanwhile. If we can grasp that reality, it shapes how we live. And first he talks about our purpose. He says in verse 5, 5a, we were made for this process. See what he says in, in chapter 5, the first part of verse 5. Uh, let me find it. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose, this very purpose, this living right here in the middle on our way is God. God has made us for this purpose. What, what does that mean? Does that mean God wants us to groan? God, God wants us to be stuck here in the middle? He wants us to feel this weight? Is this, that's the purpose? And, and I want to I phrase it like this. The, the groaning of, of both ourselves and creation is a necessary pathway that God uses to draw us forward to himself and the renewal of all things. Remember in, in Romans 8, just after that passage I read, he says, we know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. That's, that's why he wrote before that, you know, the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. That creation is, is groaning and we're groaning. There's a purpose behind it. He's using this period of groaning to help in our purification and our growth. I'm going to talk a little bit about it at the end when we wrap up. But it cultivates, this groaning cultivates within us a longing for things to extend beyond this world of death. We, we, we hunger for that. C.S. Lewis, you may have heard this quote. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that no, nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If, if, if we feel something in our gut that says this, how many times do you do that, right? It doesn't feel right. Somebody dies, somebody's struggling. You see the brokenness in the world. It's just a, there's a reason it doesn't feel right. It's because we were made for something different. But what we do very often, and this is why the groaning I think is important, is we fill our lives with distractions to get away from that feeling. We, and, and some of that times we just jump to resurrection and hope too fast to actually feel and walk through it. But the groaning, see, I think the groaning is there to get our attention. The growing decrepitness of our earthly tent creates in me a longing for something way more permanent. If we'll let it, if we'll let it drive us along the path, it'll help us. The groaning actually keeps us awake to what is really true. And, and, and what is true is that even in the meanwhile, we do not travel alone. In the last part of verse 5, God, it's, he, for this, this very purpose, he's fashioned us for this very purpose, and he has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. How can we know these things for sure? God gave us his Spirit. God actually comes and lives in us. His presence is with us. 
The very spirit that makes us aware of our desire for renewal and being made new lives, being made new lives with us, travels with us. It's one thing to be stuck in the groaning and wonder if it will ever, ever end. But it's quite another to have the Spirit of God with you as you wait. To know that he, he, He's walking with me. He's, he's using all of these things to, to, to cultivate Christ-likeness in me. That end of the Romans 8 passage from earlier. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit in us, grown inwardly as we eagerly wait eagerly for our adoption as children, the redemption of our bodies. See, the Spirit walks through this with us. And the fact that we're not alone gives us hope and it allows space for living with confidence and direction. That's the end of, from verses 6 to 10. He says we are confident we would prefer for it to be otherwise. We would prefer to be home, but we, but we can wait. And what we often see in verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. We all, I don't know about you, as I grew up, that was a threat. <laughs> it's a very, very scary passage. Oh, my goodness. But you see what he's saying here? We're in the middle of the groaning, and the Spirit's walking with us, and one day it'll all be made new. It'll all be made right. There's nothing to fear in that passage. I think Paul's saying this is a promise. We have the Spirit with us. that The Spirit's going to guide us to that day. This truth helps shape our lives. We've changed direction. We're living into something new. And so he says, and so therefore we make it our goal to please God. That's what Paul's been driving at all along in this section, right? How do we live this cruciform life? How do we... How do we grasp reality and live into it in such a way that makes us desire to please God, that makes us look like Jesus, even if it's difficult, even if it involves suffering, even if it's in the middle of the groaning? How, Paul's saying this is, this is how it's, what it looks like living in the meanwhile. When you're right there in the middle of it, this is how it looks. And his, his, his vision of our current reality for me is compelling because you know what? He gives me words to explain what I'm feeling and what I'm seeing. That idea of groaning makes so much sense to me because that's the way I feel like I'm, sometimes I'm just groaning. I just want, oh, too much. The question is, how do we let these words, this truth, sink deeply enough to shape us as we live in this meanwhile? The text first helps us to zoom out from today. That's a very important thing. It gives us the power of perspective. You know, in verse 5, he says, it was God who made you for this very purpose. Well, let's, let's zoom way back out to, to, to even before we were born, but all of creation, that God has been designing this all along. There was a commercial years ago, an ad on TV, and it, it, if you watch, I looked, I tried to find it because it's so good, because you see this woman just sitting in her car, tightly in on her, and, and then this guy comes up, and he rips open the door, and he grabs her out, and he throws her onto the ground. You feel like it's, it's an assault happening. You feel horrible. And then the camera zooms out, and you see that the back half of the car is in flames. And then the voiceover comes on and says, you need the bigger picture. Channel 10 News gives you the bigger picture, right? But it's this picture of, oh my goodness, you're jumping to all these conclusions because you're focused in on that woman. That poor woman's laying on the street, that horrible guy. And then when you get the bigger picture, you realize, whoa, okay. He was, he was actually helping her when I thought he was hurting her. He was actually saving her life when I was worried for her life. See, 
in the meantime, in this meanwhile, we have to get that bigger picture of the now and the then. And the fact that, that God is even using the meanwhile as a part of this process. That he's not surprised, right? Psalm 139, Gary Moore read that last week. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I love the fact that when I can't believe something has happened, God's not up there saying, well, I didn't see that coming. Right? God is never surprised. He is, he is leading me in this meanwhile to conform me to the image of his son, Jesus. And if I can receive that, he'll, the spirit will do that in me. Paul says the only thing that can help keep us through the meanwhile is this larger picture that God has started this, God will finish this, and in between the Spirit is going to carry me through it. That's the big picture. And it's vital, right? And it's also, this is also one of the reasons, uh, I can't overstate this too much, we need each other. And not just to sit in a room together, not just to wave at each other, not just to say, good morning, how are you? We need a couple of people of the faith that we will openly share our lives with that we'll be honest about our struggles and we know they're not going to jump on us, they're not going to convict us or, con- or, or try to condemn us, but they're going to walk with us. I, I had a good friend years ago. She's, she's gone to heaven now and her husband too, so I can talk about her. Her name was Benita. But Benita had a lot of struggles. But she, she came to faith in Christ and she, had, she, she struggled with difficulties and mental, issue, mental health issues. And, and coming to faith in Christ gave her a lot of hope. But then one day I went to visit her and she said, I just don't know if I actually believe it's true that when I die, that God will take me and I'll be with him. And, and she said, I just don't feel it. And I said, well, Benita, I tell you what, I believe it's true. And, and if you can't believe yourself, maybe you can just borrow from my faith. You may not feel that way, but trust that somebody else who's the official pastor of the Grace Baptist Church of Hope, you know, whatever credentials that offers or non-credentials, but sometimes we need the faith of other people to carry us. And, and it's important, right? That's part of this, this bigger picture. And one of the roles of the Spirit is to hold us together as one. And the Spirit flows from me into you and from you into me and encourages and strengthens us in this meanwhile. Another thing, and one that may not sound so good, is the gift of groaning. <laughs> the gift of groaning. This groaning is a challenge, but I think the key is to be able to receive it for what it is, to realize that God has brought this meanwhile to us, that we're living in this meanwhile for a purpose, and creation is groaning, right? Once again, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Creation is longing for this, And and you know what's funny? I think one of the reasons that God lets us groan and creation groan is because it's often easy for us to distract ourselves from our own groaning. But when you feel creation groan, it's hard to get away from that. When you see what's happening all over the world, you may be able to ignore the the groaning in your own life or the things God's using to, to call you to something deeper. But it's hard to, when all of creation is groaning. See, with ourself, we're we're masters of self distraction, especially in this media age, we scroll through Facebook or we binge watch on Netflix or, you know, maybe just read fiction novels over and over just to escape from reality. Really, I mean, I'm not against reading fiction novels, believe me, I'm not saying that. But there's a fine line between 
enjoying something as, a, as, a, as entertainment and, and needing it to escape from reality. We are masters of distraction. There's a book 35 years ago that I, well, I didn't read it then. I read it about 20 years ago by Neil Postman, who's not an optimist. Let me just say that. But the title of the book is Amusing Ourselves to Death. And, and one of the things he's saying is, well, at that point he was criticizing television. It's reshaping our culture. It's trivializing public life. And it's turning everything into entertainment. It's turning everything into entertainment. And he, he warned, he says, you're going to be become, with, because of this, he said, you're going to become so inundated with irrelevant information that you're going to start losing sight of what's really important. <laughs> was that prophetic 35 years ago? We're going to have so much information and be so overwhelmed by it all that we're actually going to lose what's really important. And he says this, this is a quote, when a population becomes distracted by trivia, when cultural life is redefined as a perpetual round of entertainments, when serious public conversation becomes a form of baby talk, and when, in short, a people become an audience and their public business becomes a vaudeville act, then a nation finds itself at risk and death of culture is a clear possibility. He's just saying we've, we've given ourselves so much to the spectacular and to the entertainment and the distraction as a way to avoid that feeling of the groaning. We have an unlimited capacity to distract ourselves from the reality of the world around us and even more dangerous, the reality within ourselves. Who we are and what we actually need, but the groaning... The groaning wakes you up from that. If it forces the issue, that moment when you, 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 you encounter a difficulty and a struggle and a problem and a tragedy, and you just quietly say to yourself, is this all there really is? Why would this happen? At that moment, that's when you're feeling the groaning. And if we can sit there with it, if we can realize what God can do with that in drawing us closer to himself, in acknowledging our own weakness and our own need, and our own brokenness. The minute we do that, that makes a space for God to come and be with us, for the Spirit to bring life to us. That awakening is so important because it begins to direct your energies and focus toward the truth instead of the distraction. That's why I'm a firm believer in gifts of solitude and silence. Because you know what? When, When you sit by yourself long enough, when you don't talk long enough and it's quiet, the groaning is hard to get away from. And it's a perfect time for us to say, God, I need you. You've all known that person, haven't you? I, they need to go to the doctor, but they don't want to go because they don't want bad news. If you don't know, I've known that person. Are any of you those people? Some of you may be those people, right? And we think that's just go now because the bad news you get now is better than the bad news you're going to get in three months. But we do the same thing. We run away from the groaning. We try to soothe it. We try to placate it. We, we, we buy things. We shop. We do whatever to distract ourselves instead of actually feeling the pain and letting that drive us toward a hunger, a deeper hunger for Jesus. See, that this earthly tent will one day lead to an eternal building. And, it, and, and if we become too comfortable in this tent, if we can distract ourselves and stay here, then we don't long and we don't let that motivate us. But on this journey, in this gift of groaning, Paul says we are kept secure by the Spirit. The Spirit is our deposit, 
guaranteeing what to come. Now, he says this multiple times in Ephesians. He writes, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Ktunk, I'm his. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The reason we can lean into the groaning and actually feel it is because we're kept safe by the Spirit. The Spirit can actually, that's, that's material for the Spirit to work with, for us to, to know God and his provision in deeper and more profound ways, to remind us that we're heading home, that this is temporary. He says in John 16, Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. This spirit that's with us is going to take us on a journey. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from you what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In this groaning, Jesus says, when the Spirit is guiding you, when you can open up to the groaning enough to lean on the Spirit, he will take from Jesus, what you need that Jesus has from the Father, that's all Trinity there, they're all working together, and he will give it to you in the middle of that groaning. That's why it's safe to go there. He will guide us into all truth. He will help us see and reflect the glory of Jesus. And remember that this tent, this groaning, is temporary. The Spirit reminds us of that, and the Spirit leads us home to that eternal building. Let's let everything that we encounter serve that purpose. Let's not run away from grief and groaning and difficulty, but let's enter it realizing that the Spirit will show, He'll shape us, He'll teach us. He'll mold us into the image of Christ. That, that's, that's what is so scary to me. Because when we want to avoid that pain, we never, we, we never grow. When we can actually face it, open-hearted with the Spirit guiding us. God will transform that, right? Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day after day. So we fix our eyes not on what we see, but on what is unseen. Because what we see is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. God, we we want to be a people who... um, live with our feet planted squarely on the truth. And the reality is there are so many distractions, there are so many causes and bandwagons that, that we get angry about and we jump on and we just, or, or we just waste so much time not listening to you, not quieting our heart, feeling the groaning and letting the Spirit lead us through that groaning on toward where you would have us to go. And God, as our whole world grieves over many things, as we grieve personally here in our community, even in our own church, take that grief and transform it, God. Use it to to cultivate in us a deeper longing to know you and to surrender to you. And thank you for the hope that we have that it will one day all be made new that all the death in all the world set next to life would scarcely fill a cup, as Beekner says. Remind us of that truth. Inspire in us a willingness to walk uh, this journey in the groaning, to walk with people as they groan, and to be the presence of the Spirit as we carry each other onto our eternal dwelling 
in heaven in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. It's, uh, it's probably ironic and fitting that today kind of feels like a groan. We're limited in our numbers. We're limited in what we can do. Um, it's hot. It's dark. But, but we receive this and say, you know, this is just part of the longing for the day. One step of this is when we're all back together, when we're singing our heads off in here, right? And it's 18 degrees outside instead of 3,000. Um, but the beautiful thing, and I, I love when you continue reading in Scripture, we, we focus a lot too on Romans 8 today, and then Paul says in Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? What, with all this, with creation growing, what do we say? And guess what he says? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then as if there was any question, he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What a, what a picture. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? And as you leave here, as you live in this groaning, groaning is real. But guess what? It's temporary. Because God who gave up his son will, will give us all things. He will. That, that new home in heaven is a reality already in God. And we are headed that direction. So walk there with faithfulness. Walk with people as they mourn. And God bless you this week. Amen.